0: Brother the Hallelujah. Thank you. Why, he shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Now, to you dear strangers, he was just making, trying to make me feel a little more encouraged to stand up here, that was all. (laughs) I don't even claim to be a preacher. (laughs) I just... Like to get around where there is preachers, and I mine is praying for the sick, and uh, I'm happy to be here this afternoon to to see this audience and to feel the spirit of the Lord here, and to enjoying those blessings since last evening. I was noticing in the last evening service those cripples and sitting in those wheelchairs how they uh, got up, and walked out of those wheelchairs, and I. Now, they're not here. I don't see a one of them this this afternoon, not a one that was there, as I see, knowingly. But I noticed one thing, just the ones that was dealt with the longest was the first ones that got up. Did you notice that? The very first ones that got up. And there's something about it that I don't understand. And since last night, I've been praying to wonder what that, why, why would that? So you pray with me (laughs) that uh, God will make it known. Now, I thank you all so much for the missionary offering for this afternoon. If our Lord tarries and permits me, I want to go over to Africa, and then we come back to to India, and from there to Jerusalem to in this next missionary tour. And my heart is bleeding for all those countries. Sister Hall was saying, she said, None of that for me, (laughs) over way in there. I don't think I—I said, fleshly speaking, I I don't desire it, but there's something back there that's making me go, see, just just making me go. And with the love for those who need Christ, I want to go. I got a a book from Africa not long ago, and it's, it's a colored man, old. He said, White man, white man, where was your father? He said, here I'm old and dull at mine, and I've just now learned of Jesus. If I would have known him earlier, I could tuck him to my tribes. And I thought, well, I won't have to answer for my father's generation, but I will have to answer for mine, for what I do. And under the difficulties that I have to labor under and so forth, I want to do all that I can for our Lord, all that I can. As far as I know of in human life, I only have... Uh, thanking God as far as health and everything, knowing that I was once the blind man, and, and, or so blind they had to leave me around, and my eyesight's 20-20 now, and so I, I was once real sick, I couldn't eat nothing, and stomach trouble's so bad, and I'm healthy and happy, can eat anything. There's only one thing that bothers me that I know of, and there's none of us perfect, we know that. And that is, the meetings, when they carry a little long, it puts such a mental, uh, nervous strain on me, because you're just on the point at any moment. See, in my meetings, they're sitting hundreds, sometimes in big meetings, where there's many thousands together, of critics that would, just trying their best to find one thing to talk about. And I'm conscious of that when that's coming against me. Then the Holy Spirit moving down to be able to know what's wrong with the people. And I know that he knows all things, and that under a few minutes under that, oh my, it'll take more off of you than you can hit with a sledgehammer and rock pile for two days straight without even laying down and resting. You know, according to modern science, that speaking, ministers who just speaking to an audience of people, takes more strength for them in twenty minutes of speaking than eight hours in physical labor. That's what a, a teardown. Now multiply that by about one hundred, and you get some conception of what it is. And so that's the thing that I desire all you dear Christian people to pray for me—that God will somehow. I don't know. I once wondered how he could, uh, how he got tired, in being the Son of God. But I know now what it is. It's a. It isn't a. It isn't a physical strain, it's a more or less I'd say a mental strain. Nerve and mental. Nerve and mental. See it it moves over you and you're just at the age coming in the meeting, not this afternoon, but at night time. There sits one out there, maybe I maybe here sits a poor person with a cancer sitting there. Just one word will do that work. Here come a minister up a few moments ago sitting over here, an aged man that had a growth on his lips. He told me he had been preaching, I believe, nearly 40 years, and a Pentecostal preacher for 40 years, and said, I told him all about his conditions in the line somewhere, and God taking that thing off his mouth, and there he sits, you see. Right. And, um, and I thought, that man was preaching the gospel before I was born. And here, come up here, I just one word, here the congressman, Mr. Upshaw, from the Congress of the United States, sitting here inland Inman for 66 years. And me standing here under inspiration and seeing a vision when the man had just been brought in of where he was and what he'd done and what happened, and here he is today, walking around like the rest of them. See? That's set under things for years, and last evening I watched that woman laying there that was bound with arthritis. I was told when they brought her in, taking three men to bring her in there, she was—how uh, she was. And how that—there she—after dealing with her a little while going down there and laying hands on her. She got up. You're said a woman in a wheelchair, her feet hanging down, and such a condition there. And I, I talked to her, and while speaking to her, the Holy Spirit began to reveal to her. And, and I said, Now, in a few moments, and I go to the platform, Now, if I look down at you, I want you to obey what I tell you. And when I got to the platform, up, she got out of the wheelchair, there she was. And I, well, now, those things is what Makes. Uh, did you know that most all poets and and prophets and so forth are considered neurotics? Did you know that? You you don't believe that, but I'm gonna I'll prove it to you. There is a land somewhere that the human person, and one out of every ten thousand Christians knows no more about, but just by faith to believe about it. But there's a place that a human being, while yet in here, can be lifted up into that spot. Now it is not a rejoicing time, like you just lifted up in joy. I've seen much joy and not enough real solid faith to cure toothache You see, that's the joy of the Lord, not the power of the Lord. You see, I I want more joy of the Lord. That's what I desire. That's what you have need of. But not long ago. Stephen Foster, my little son, sitting in the back of the building. It was his favorite poet. Many of you know Stephen Foster. Know of him? He gave America some of its best folk songs it ever had. Uh, he was considered an erotic. And uh, it, when he wrote "The Old Kentucky Home," my old Kentucky home. That's just a little ways from from where I live now, and just about seventy miles from where I was born. And. To, about two summers ago, I visited the old Kentucky home for my first time. I was sitting at the bench or the desk where he wrote that song, and it's world-famous. And um, I was looking at his picture, and where the serpent, the angel, was supposed to touch touched him to give him inspiration to write it. The guide and so forth had done left out of the room. I was sitting there and I thought, Mr. Foster, he looked like a very intelligent-looking man. I thought, why? Uh, what made you do what you did. Now He would write a song, and he had it in his mind, but after he'd get through writing a song, coming down out of that inspiration, he'd get drunk, go out on a drunk. And finally he got to such a place that so he called a servant, ordered a razor, and committed suicide. Cut his throat. Stephen Foster. Not long ago I stood by the side of William Capper's grave. He wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawing from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. In London, England, and I stood there by his grave, and I laid my hand over on the tombstone, and I thought, God rest your gallant soul. I thought, Mr. Capper, why were you considered an erotic? You know, after he wrote that song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. He came out of that inspiration and got, went down to the, to a cab, tried to find the river to commit suicide, to drown himself in the river. William Camper. That's his history right there, but great. Then I uh, remember the prophet Jonah, how that he was going down to Nineveh, taking a ship to Tarsha, and the inspiration of God fell upon him, and he went out and gave his prophecy before Nineveh where God sent him, And he even put sackcloth on the cattle on the hills. And God spared that great city and such inspiration. Then went up and sat down under a gourd or a tree and prayed for God to take his life. Is that right? I thought of Elijah who went out there and sat by the brook, and was fed by the ravens, and he closed the heavens that it wouldn't rain. Then he opened up the heavens and brought down water, brought fire out of heaven the same day, and then when the inspiration left him by the threat of a woman, run out into the wilderness and prayed for God to let him die. Is that right? Now, I could go on and on, but what is it, friends? Man who are are brought under such tremendous inspiration of another land, you go out of this world somewhere else. Well. And then when you're when you're up there it's all right. Or when you're down it's all right, but when you come in between there now as long as the inspiration was on them, they were all right. But when the inspiration leaves, that's what hurts. Now here not long ago, standing in meetings and finding so many people desiring and I just stayed for discernment and so much in one meeting right after another, not having no interview just this constantly and for eight months, I couldn't get up or down. I stayed right in between there. You know the time it was. When they rushed me everywhere, even to the male's clinic, said, there's not an earthly chance for him. That's right. Uh, when it's, you're up or down, when you get down, why well, you seem to be all right, when you're up, but in between there, that's what hurts. And now, what does this all say? It all says this, friend, that there's a land beyond the river somewhere way under somewhere that we're going to. It's heavenly there. So we do not understand those things, but misunderstood, but we try to do the best that we can for the embitterment of human beings by Jesus Christ while we have time to work. And I desire your prayers for me uh, that I will ma- maintain the strength since the time of that. I have been healthier than I ever was in all my life. More healthier. I never weighed over 135 pounds in my life, and I weigh 155 now. See, and because I I took Christ, I promised him that I'd never abuse myself anymore. Like that, I would. I when I got tired and so forth, I'd leave. I didn't care what the meeting was doing. I'd come apart into the wilderness and rest a while. See, and then go out again somewhere. But under management and so forth, where they've got these itineraries made up, you have to get the auditoriums. It just certainly keeps you pushing like that to go, to keep it up. So, God bless you. One word I want to say about, someone asked us about, if I would speak the time that our, our baby was born. Mrs. Copp just told me she just received a letter from my uh, dear little wife at home. If there's anybody of uh, the Branham family that deserves credit, it's the, the, my wife, Miss Branham. She's a lovely little character. I wished I could have brought her with me, but I can't because the baby was too young. I went for her to bring her here. I want you to meet her sometime on my return. I hope to be able to bring her. She's only thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And she's thirty years old, almost white gray, and. Five years ago her hair was as black as it could be, but you sit at the phone where sometimes 60 long-distance calls an hour, day and night, and at the door where this, that, and the home i It won't take it long till things will change. But, friend, I say this with her, we're only sorry that we haven't got a thousand lives to give for him who gave his life for us. That's right. The public, sometimes you have your individual case to deal with. But when in this case, in the spirit line, you've got the literally millions pulling to you. See there. And there it's more than what people think it is. I had prayed so earnestly, reading in my Bible one day after I'd come back from overseas. My first wife died many years ago. We lived together three years. Two little children was born in our family. One of them remains is at the back of the building now. Our little boy, the little girl died with the mother. I was single for several years, her begging at her death, never to live single but to get some good Christian girl who would take care of the children, not knowing that the baby would be buried in her arms, but it died immediately after her, a few hours, which was perfectly healthy at the time of her going. I lived single for several years, and my little boy entered school, I, I got married again. And we lived together four years. And God gave back another little lump of sugar, my little girl, little Sharon that was taken from me. He gave me a, a little Rebecca. And I love her with all my heart. And I feel that God sent her, she's a very living image of the other little girl. And then seemed like she was going to have no more children. Four more years has passed. And when I come back from overseas, I was reading. and. Cleveland, Ohio, or not Cleveland, but I believe it was um, Minneapolis, taking the Old Testament a subject to read. And I was reading of Joseph, and he just outstands to me, Joseph does, about all the patriarchs. And I got down on my knees and I asked our Lord if he would give us another child, possible give us a little boy, and I would name him Joseph if he would give me another little boy. Immediately after that, about a month or so. I knew my wife was to be mother. I looked forward for the coming of a little boy, Joseph, and when I, he was born, or to be born, I said here at the tabernacle, you all sent so many nice presents and things which will always be remembered in our hearts, and I'm sure the Heavenly Father has a record of everything up there, and I pray that he'll bless you. and I wanted to go home, to go to meet the child, to see what would happen. I wanted him to take my place. I wanted someone to take my place, that I would know that the mantle would be on my children if it could. And there's always been a little place out there, if I could just press over, I see things in part. But it just seemed like I'm just living in a little tributary to a great lake just beyond. And I always thought, if I could just get past that one place, oh my. And maybe I, my background's being so sinful, as I explained it, my people are all sinners before me, and I was raised in a sinful home. And then, trying to keep myself from sin at that time, as much as I knew how, I thought maybe God would let my children uh, come in to the blessing, the full blessing, and maybe my little boy would fully be a prophet sent from God. I prayed to that. When I went to meet the little... A baby, as a nurse for males, had been healed of the cancer a few years ago, given up to die. She was our nurse when the, the baby was brought, and it come to meet it, and instead of the spirit falling to the baby, it fell back this way again. And I, I believe it's just ahead of me. I, what I've asked for is, I believe it, God has it just ahead. I believe I'll live to see it, and that's what I pray for my little boy, which is with us now, soon be sixteen years old. He was—he seemed to be a good boy. He minded me, and was very lovely little fellow. But I talked to him about being baptized and making his public confession of Christ. He lived good and everything, little fellow. But about a week after that, I walked into the house, and he come without me asking or anything. He said, "Daddy, I want to be a Christian. I want to serve the Lord." My Joseph was right with me, went, I didn't know it. The little baby that I thought would be Joseph was a little girl, and I called her Sarah. I'm thankful for her. Amen. I love her with all my heart. I had a boy and a girl. Either which way it went would be all right, but I so wanted a, a, a boy and for so he could be a minister of the gospel. And I believe that God is calling my little boy back there, go to be a minister of the gospel. I, and, and seeing the wisdom of God, now I more understand. If you ask God, God will give you the desire of your heart. I don't believe if the little baby would have been born to have come up to the age to be a minister, Jesus will be here before that time, I believe. And God just put it over on my little boy back there, and that... And we thank you for your kindness, and God bless you. Last time, I've taken about 15 minutes or 20 there in explaining those things. So I'll try to get out real quick now, in the next hour. As I've told you before, and many of you people now, as a preacher, I am not. I I just, oh, I don't know. I used to think that when I was first ordained in a Baptist church, oh, I'd carry the Bible down the street, and they call me reverend. (laughs) I was a big fellow. When I got to meet some real right down preachers, I, I had to kind of decide I wasn't. You know, I told you about riding the horse. You remember the last time I believe I was here about, I thought I was a cowboy one time when I'd put cucklebirds under our old tired horse and get up on him and he would, uh, on the saddle, you know, and he'd just bawl a few times. And I thought I was a real rider. My father was, but I was, wasn't my, wasn't he. So then, I went to Arizona one time and I seen him really riding one of those rodeos, and I went out to be a rider too, like my dad. But when I seen them riding them outlaws, I I knew I wasn't no cowboy by a long ways. So I thought I was a preacher when I was first ordained, but when I got around where some preachers could really preach, I quit saying I was anything about a preacher because it was another case of maybe the cuckolders or the sad. So. But what I do know of it, I like to tell it to someone else. That's Sometimes in a meeting this way, just to wax myself and speak to them. Or oh, I take a little old text somewhere in the Bible and speak on it a little bit. And I was going to ask Brother Copp a while ago, what was that I spoke on the last time I was here? And I think he said it was, uh, uh, it was, uh. All ways of seeing God, God in his creation and his son and so forth like that. And so now this afternoon I want to, to read some scripture and probably some of you have been here. I've read this before. I was going to speak on come and see a man, the woman at the well. She said, come see a man that told me all things. Kind of lengthy. So I'm going over to the resurrection of Lazarus here, if the Lord willing at the 11th chapter of St. John in the Gospel, if you'll listen closely now while we read and go right straight into the service, and you pray for me, will you? All of you. And tonight, come out believing there's going to be a great outpouring tonight. I want to see the time in this meeting that there will not be one wheelchair or blind person or anything left that isn't healed. ...meetings that's going on around the city, Brother Freeman and, and the other brethren, sisters who's holding. I pray out of this meeting, some colored brother came, said, Brother Branham, pray that God will send me into the harvest. Another minister come, pray that God will send me, go, oh, brethren, God bless you, just go right on out. There's just everywhere, dash out, there's many, many people's in need. And now last night, there's been three or four wheelchairs been made empty now, and we pray that God will heal every one of them and make them well. 11th chapter of St. John—listen closely now—beginning about the 18th verse of the 11th chapter of St. John—Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing of the word. Is that right? Read the word. Now, you can mark it if you'd like to refer back to this scripture, and I'll try my best watching the clock to be out within 40 minutes to 45, 50 minutes, somewhere along there if possible. Now, the 18th verse we, we begin reading. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem about fifteen orleans off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. When Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask God, God will give it thee. I like that, don't you? Even now, whatever you ask God, God will do it. No matter what's happened, what you ask God now, God will do it. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother sh- shall rise again. And that kind of faith comes, something has to happen. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again. In the resurrection at the last day, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which come into the world. Let's bow our heads just a moment. Our heavenly Father, many Years has passed since these words were first written, since this scene took place down there in a lonely little graveyard where two broken-hearted sisters and loved ones weeping. But way down beyond the tears, there was an expression in their heart to believe that God's prophet stood on the earth, the Son of God, and was able to deliver to them the desire of their heart. And we this afternoon, after many years, and these things are written that we might understand, we too believe that God will withhold no good thing from them that ought walk upright before him. He'll give us the desire of our heart. And you know my desire this afternoon. You know the desire on every heart in this building this afternoon. And, Father, while we're hearing this healing campaign, if it should be called such, we pray, God, that in this hour, while I'm to speak on faith. I pray that faith will move over this audience, and there'll be such a great response to it that the cripples will just get right up out of their chairs and walk out. The blinds will throw down their canes and raise up and receive their sight. Cancers will vanish, and sin will fly from the sinners, backsliders will rush to the altar. Grant it, Lord. May there be such a great hour now that we've never seen before. Grant it, Father. Because we ask that for your glory, in the name of your beloved child, Jesus Christ, amen. Our setting of the scene for this little text, if I would say it be, believe this, believe us how this, for this afternoon. Now, just, you give me your undivided attention just for a few moments and pray for me. Now. During the time of our Master's life, this had come to the place where he had become very popular. When he was first here, in his first claims, he was not very popular, but when they begin to see the physical results of his ministry, then they were willing to, to admit that there was something about him, especially the common people. They heard him gladly. They still hear him gladly. I've never desired to be rich. I, I believe Solomon, I believe, had the most level uh, prayer to God that I ever heard. He prayed that God wouldn't make him so rich that he would forget God, and yet not to make him so poor they would have to steal. So just the comforts of life is what we desire. Is that right? And that's about where the most of us stand, I guess, and very fortunate and thankful to have that. Jesus dwelt amongst the poor and the humble. If you'll notice him in calling his ministry, he, he never, he never called the the rich. He he called the poor. When he was born, why, they never, the angels never went out and sang in the temple about to Cephas and the high priests and those and told them about, there's born uh, tonight in the city of David, uh, Christ the Savior, but there, the angels came down and give this uh, salutation or a visitation rather to the shepherds and peasants, the poor people. When he called his disciples, he never went and got the educated priest out of the seminaries. He went down on the river and got fishermen, peasants, poor people, that they would have nothing. That the the world could say, well, yes, they become great men because they had a great background. They had this. They had no backgrounds at all. And he just picked them up like jewels out of the dirt and made their names immortal among man today—Peter, James, John, and so forth—fishermen of lowly, peasant-type people. And I'm so glad that God still deals with poor people and common people, for we don't have much of this world's goods. We don't desire uh, this world's goods. If there's anything that we ought to not to desire is too much of these things, just enough to live by. That's all. If I'd probably taken the money that had been offered the would be an independent rich man, but today, as far as I know, I own her. this old backslidden Chevrolet truck out here about six years old and a Pontiac about three years old that I take my wife along in when I take her. And the clothes that we have on and what we have at home, that's all we own. That's right. Everything that we have. But I'd rather live like that and have favor with God than have the best movie star home there is setting on Hollywood Hill over here. That's right. That's right. I'd rather feel in my heart the presence of Christ that I feel now, than I have the richest of this world. That's right. I love him, and he's wonderful. And he came to this world as my example, and he came as your example, to, be, to just be content with such as we have. And when he was born in the world, he had a, a, a hard start. When he was born, he was born in a manger, in a barn. Could you imagine a birth of that type? No lower birth could be, I don't expect, than to be born in a manger. And before he even got here, it was tacked on to him of being a legitimate child, that he was absolutely a, a, an illegitimate child. That Joseph was his father, and he was going to be born out of holy wedlock. And that was not uh, nothing but just Joseph's boy. Now that, and you know, that old curse hasn't left today. Many people actually believe that. Well, here not long ago, I was up in the mountains where I go for a little retreat to rest and hunt, and. I was up there, and there's a a man, a cowboy, riding along with me, a rancher, and I'd met him, and he said, um, I was hunting, and he said, well, get on my horse here, ride along. He said, where are you from? And I said, Indiana. It's been a few years ago. And he said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a game warden. He said, well, they're not welcome in this country. I said, well, I'm here. (laughs) And he said, I said, that's what I do as to make a living. But I said, otherwise, I'm a preacher. He looked, I said, a what? And I said, a preacher. said, you look too intelligent for that. And I said, <laughs> I said well, I said, I tell you, <laughs> I said, I, I, I think that's a mark of intelligence. <laughs> so he said, oh, he said, you don't believe that story, do you? I said, yes, sir. I believe it with all my heart. He said, do you really believe that he was uh, the virgin birth as it was said? I said, yes, sir. I really believe it. Well, we went arguing along about it for a long time. And he he said, well, that couldn't be so, preacher. He said, that's against all scientific. Uh, it's against all science. It can't be so. That trees have to be, have pollen to and there. So it has to actually be a, a literally father and mother before a baby can be born. And uh, I said, do you believe that there's a God? He said, certainly not. And I, I said, oh, he said, that's the Santa Claus story. And I said, oh, you think so? Do you? He said, yes, sir. And um, I said, well, every man, I said, good thing this is America. We all have our own ideas. But I said, for me, he's more than life. And uh, he he just got right back at me firing you know. He said, you know now, right down to the bottom of your heart, that's just because you read it in the Bible. I said, no, sir, that's one reason. But the next reason the reason I know he is he lives in my heart. I said I know that he is. He said could uh, could you could you prove that he lives? I said yes sir. I said go back over my life and see what I was and what I am now and I said that proves that something has happened. He said well it's against I said I said you will admit that that woman that he had an earthly mother, as the Bible says, it said, oh yes, he had an earthly mother, but it's impossible now for a child to be born with a heavenly father, a spirit, without being a natural man. I said, yes, that's right. I said, well I want to ask you something. If that's, if he, if you admit he had a mother, and he couldn't have a, a supernatural being for a father, then how did the first man get here, Without father or mother. How did he let him be monkey, tadpole, whatever you want to call him. How did he get here? He had to have a pap and mammy from somewhere. Isn't that right? He had to have, he walked on, went on a little farther right along. And after a while, I said, can you answer me where the first man come from? He walked, wrote on a little piece and after a while he pulled his big hat down over his eyes. I didn't know what he was doing. I looked, he looked sideways, and looking towards them snow peak mountains. We were up there hunting. The tears are dropping off his cheeks. He looked around at me, and said, I lift up my head into the hills, and whence cometh my help? My help cometh for the Lord. He rode back there with his horse and put his arms around me, and said, Preacher, I got respects for you. Amen. He said, there's been a lot of preachers up here that come and tell me. He said, I want to find one man that really believed it was so. I said, I believe it with all my heart. We go up there hunting and we sleep out on the snow and at nighttime after the day is over and we've been in different places coming in and I usually go up in June sometime I won't this year and salt and the cattle when they're round, they're putting out the salt and things, I ride right with them. Then when we all around through the daytime, and then at night he pulls his camp bag right up next to me and everybody gets asleep. And he reached over, and got my hand, he says, Parson. But isn't he wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hallelujah. Yes, sir, brother. He's still the Lord Jesus. You know, springtime here in California now, I'm amazed of the morning to hear those birds and doves out there, how they're mating, and fixing their nest. And I just think that bird could lay a whole nest full of eggs. And no matter how much she would hover them eggs and try to keep them warm, if she hasn't been with the male bird, they'll never hatch. They'll lay right there and rot in the nest. Isn't that right? And friends, that's. Hey, we know that the germ of life comes from the male sex. You're your mother's flesh, but your father's blood. Life comes from the male sex. A hen can lay an egg or a bird, and it won't hatch. I think that's just about what I've said a lot of times. The a matter of our churches today. Like a, an old nest full of rotten eggs that ain't never been with Jesus Christ. And that's the reason they just got it reading, writing, and arithmetic. Don't know nothing about Jesus Christ. Might as well dump the nest out and start over again. Don't you think so? It's time to get an old-fashioned Holy Ghost church. Somebody that's been in contact with God. Got a born-again experience. So they can stand for what they know it's right. Right. Instead a while ago, someone said something about... Peter on the day of Pentecost, well, listen, I've been along these Holy Ghost meetings now for some five years, and Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this is that, and if this ain't that, I'm going to keep this till that comes, I'll tell you that, you can criticize it, say what you want to, but I believe it's a real old-fashioned baptism of the Holy Ghost just exactly like it was on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Oh, my, I can see our Master when he come with that blackness behind him and, saying that he was an illegitimate child. But God sent a warning always before the coming. He sent a man by the name of of John the Baptist. He was a great forerunner of Jesus. God always sends a forerunning before some great event. Whenever you see angels will come to the earth, for instance, maybe the angel that deals with God's humble servant here, that's a minor, no doubt, angel of healing or something, or the spirit of some great something It's it's here, one of God's attributes. I do not know who he is. But when you hear of Gabriel coming to the earth, something's going to happen, man. Gabriel announced the first coming of Jesus, and he will announce the second coming of Jesus. Gabriel. The great archangel who stands in the presence of his majesty. How marvelous. Now I can think of when Zechariah, God setting himself in order, getting his church ready. Zachariah, the great high priest, or great priest rather, he was to burn incense. He had a home that was consecrated to God. God give us some more homes like that. Yes, sir. They believed God and waited on God. And S- Elizabeth, his wife was barren. She's way past the age now. And she was barren. And down they prayed for years for God to give them children. But seemingly, he had not done it. Sometimes God holds off to the very last moment just to see what you'll do about it. Oh my. I- feel kind of religious right now. I, I really do. When <clears throat> I think of his goodness, how that many times that he holds it right off to the last moment to see what you'll do about it. Down in Babylon, if I you jump back for a minute, thinking down there that how that the Hebrew children, he let them get right up to step off into the fiery furnace before he ever showed a hand. Is that right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There they was. They had purposed in their heart that they wouldn't bow down to the king's image, and he let them come right up to the last moment. Let's just look at that just for a moment. It's a little awful lesson. But let's look, God waiting to the last moment. No doubt, brother, you've been in that chair a long time, but God may be waiting to the last moment. See what you're going to do about it. Maybe you're sitting there, too, sister, it may be just waiting to the last moment. Maybe this is it. I can see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, you can burn us, you can do what you want to, but we're going to hold fast to that Hallelujah. what's right. And you the day you can make fun of me, call me holy Roller, or whatever you want to, but I'll hold to God's unchanging hand. If he can bring one from a wheelchair, if he can bring the congressman of the United States from a cripple from 66 years to a perfect well man, he can do me the same way. Hallelujah. Though it linger, yet will it speak. The vision will speak it has to. He that readeth let him run. Notice then when it come down to that great hour, I can see King Nebuchadnezzar representing the world saying, All right, we'll just burn some of that religion out of him. You know that he may not be called Nebuchadnezzar today, but he's still in the earth. His influence, the laugh, burn it out, mockery, and said, We'll just take some of that religion out of him. We'll heat the furnace seven times hotter than it ever was. And I can see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a prayer meeting knowing God was able. There they go. On the death march the next day, the king sits up and says, Now we'll see what takes place. When we put the heat on them, they'll deny it then like the rest of them. Don't you think the devil ain't here to put the heat on you when you claim your healing or salvation or the baptism of the Holy Ghost? He'll throw the heat to you. Yes, he will. Then when they got to that great hour Walking up the gang plank as it was to drop off into this furnace seven times hotter than it ever was hit. Notice I hear Shadrach say, "Meshach, you sure you prayed through?" "No, oh my. "You better know it." "You say yes." "I prayed through." Take a hold of hands, and here they go walking on up, up to the very next to the last step. Man, begin to get fainty from that hot heat coming out of the intense heat of the foundry—or. Push them on up into their this furnace rather with these spears. Looks like God is forsaken and turned his back upon his people. No answer to prayer, no nothing, fainty, sickly, staggering right on up, going into the furnace, standing firm on their conviction. God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace, but nevertheless, going right on when the heat's on. Amen. That's the way it was, Congressman. You said don't give up. All right, stay right there. God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. Just a few more steps. I can see Shadrach look out at Abednego to see the last time before they step into the furnace. Looks like pretty dark, doesn't it? The picture I'm painting. Let's turn our camera now. Amen. All the time there's something going on down here. There's something going on up there at the same time. Amen. We only look to the earthly side. But let's look up there. My, I can see him sitting there in his majesty. Oh, my. His kingly, priestly garments hanging around him. Sitting there. I can see a great angel coming up. You believe God's got angels in heaven? They're at his command. Is that right? I can see one of them come up. He's called uh, Wormwood. He's the angel over all the waters. I can see him rustle up quick up the side of the throne and say, Master, have you looked down, down there? While they're fixing to burn up three faithful believers... I hear the master say, yes, Wormwood, I've watched him all night long, rather his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me, I know he sees everything's going on right here now, he knows not even a sparrow could fall in the street. I hear Wormwood say, back in the Andalusian destruction. You give me the authority and I broke up all the fountains, you know, wormwood up there has control of the waters. He said, I've washed the whole thing off. Let me go down this morning and I'll wash Babylon off the face of the earth. I believe he could have done it. You say, well, I tell you, you can, I can't let you go. Here comes another angel. Who's he? Let's see, maybe, maybe he's Michael. Let's think he's Michael, the great angel who stands in the presence of God. I can see him draw his sword and say, Master, look down there. One more step and death's right before him. Have you considered him? Yes. Let me go down there. We'll see who's boss when we get down there. I believe he could have done it, don't you? I hear him say, Michael, you have obeyed me since the day that I created you, but I can't let you go because I'm going myself. This is a man's size job. I can see him rise up from his seat, his robes drop around him, walk out there and say, way back over there in the north, I can see a great big white thunderhead. on here, and him say, come here. Amen. Everything in the heaven obeys him. But man thinks he knows more than he does, you see, so he can't obey. I can see him say, come here, east wind, north, south, west. Get into this thunderhead. I'm going to drive you like horses this morning. He'd take that big thunderhead and step out on it like a chariot reach up and get a hold of zigzag lightnings out of the skies and crack it across the sky. King Nebuchadnezzar could hear it down on the earth down there. And about that time he passed by the sea of life and picked off a palm when they made their last step into the fiery furnace. There was one like the Son of God standing there panning away all oh, the breezes like that, talking over the future for them. I tell you, he's God today. He knows all things. He asked the angels in charge. When he knew his son was coming to the earth, he said, now look, there's a good man down there by the name of Zachariah. I want you to go down and stand by him. And I want you to speak to him. And I can see Zachariah going now. He's down at the temple. He's uh, making his wave here before the altar, burning incense. The people in the congregation was praying. And as he turned, there stood Gabriel. Oh my! Anybody's time. Said Zachariah. Fear not, Hallelujah. That's the word. Fear not. You got faith in God. Stand pat. God'll do it. Now I'm not excited. I just feel a little good. See? Notice. I get a little noisy, but I don't mean nothing by it. If you felt like I did, you'd be noisy too, maybe. Look. All right. I can prove anything without emotion is dead. So if your religion hasn't got any emotion about it, bury it somewhere and get one that's got some life in it. Amen. That's right. Now, notice, I can hear him say, now, nah. you know, when you go home at the days you're this administration year, you're going home and your wife is going to bring a child and you'll call his name John. Now notice that man who had read the Bible over and over. Prayed and so forth for God to give him children. How could these things be? And he said, because you have doubted my word, I'm Gabriel. My words will be fulfilled in their season. Hallelujah. Oh, when he speaks it, when he sends an ordained angel out of heaven, it has to come to pass. Amen. That I'm Gabriel. Because you've doubted my word, you'll be dumb till the day the baby's born. My word will be fulfilled anyhow. Amen. All right. And when he come out and beckoned to the people, he went home after the days of the ministration and his wife conceived. Now look, he ought to believe it. There was Sarah and Hannah and many examples in the Bible that showed it had been before, but he doubted it in his individual case. Now to you people here in a wheelchair. If those people here last night walked from a wheelchair, if this man from a crippled bed and so forth for all those years, it's so in your case. Amen. Amen. I noticed there he was. He went home and after the days his wife conceived and when she was about six months along, something like that, then God sent Gabriel back again. Amen. Here he comes. I see a little old girl living down there in Nazareth, just uh, uh, out of a poor, humble family, and her name was Mary, about eighteen years old, engaged to a man that had been married before, had some children, and here they come along. She's walking. Maybe it's wash day. She's got the water on her head. Maybe it's Oriental type packing water from the well, and all at once a big bright light flashed before her. And there in a the bright light stood Gabriel, the angel of God, said, Hail Mary, blessed art thou among women. You found favor with God, and you're going to have a child knowing no man, and he'll be called the Son of God. Look, the priest doubted Gabriel's word, but Mary, and he had something to believe that had happened before that time. But Mary didn't have nothing. never a baby had been born without uh, being black, man, and wife. But she was going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. And instead of doubting she said, Behold the handsmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! All that's what we need is some more Mary's. Yeah. Take God at His word. She didn't wait till she felt right. She started right then testifying she's going to have a baby. Hallelujah. As soon as God's word sinks in your heart, get up and give the testimonies. Hallelujah. That's it. When God takes the Holy Spirit and brings that word to you and makes it alive to you, a reality that your faith, stand up and claim it. You don't have to feel nothing, see nothing or nothing. You have to believe something. Amen. Amen. I'm not amening myself, but it means so be it. <laughs> All right. Watch this. There he is. She said, Behold the hands made of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. She tucking him at his word. And began to rejoice. She had to testify about it. And as soon as real genuine Christian faith. Anchors in a person's heart. Let them be bound in a wheelchair, blind. Whatever it is, they'll kill it. That's right, I've healed. How do you know you are? Jesus said so, and I believe it. There you are. Yes. Oh, I like to throw that in the devil's face. When he stood there, Mayoes and Mayoes, and a group of doctors around me said, Reverend Brandon, you're finished. Jesus said, I'll heal you. Hallelujah. I'll tuck him at his word. Yes. He hates me. I know he does. But Christ loves me because he redeemed me. All right. Yes, I like to push it back at him every time I get a chance said you don't feel any better than you ever felt when I come out of there I said oh boy if you want to hear me praise God stick around you'll hear me (laughs) yes sir I mean to praise him till death shall set me free yes sir let it be little big wherever it is he's worthy of all praise oh my there he was took him at his word She started telling people about it. She heard the angel told her about her cousin. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, and so she went up out of to Judea to her cousin Elizabeth to tell her the great news and to appreciate the angel's visit to Zachariah. She said, Now it's six months with one who was called barren, so I can see Mary going along the road just full of happiness. No sign of life nowhere, nothing at all. She had the promise. That's all she needed. Glory! Oh, I wish you could see it. The promise is all you need. When I spoke to a Baptist bishop, overseer, general overseer of the conference, he said, Reverend Branham, aren't you ashamed to make such statements as that? I said, no, sir. You think that you I said I can For Christ promised it Hallelujah Mine I believe in it Christ died That I could have That privilege And today I stand still on it Hallelujah Hallelujah. Yes sir Mine Because he gave it to me He died And he sent the Holy Ghost To persuade me To take it And it's mine And it's yours Every redemptive blessing Of the Bible Belongs to you Hallelujah. Alright. I see her go up there now and Elizabeth, her cousin, sees her coming. She's so happy along. And here comes Elizabeth out to meet her. Oh my. She puts her arms around her and hugs her and says, oh, I'm so happy. And so forth like that. They had love for one another in them days. We lost that now. That's right. There's no more love among people. Harder unless it's the saints of God. Well, it used to be down on the farm down there, if we run out of money, we could go over to the neighbor and borrow $50 maybe till we harvest. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. The Bible said Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was a man when he come down off the mountain that night hungry. And he was looking for something to eat around a fig tree. He was a man, but he was hungry. But when he took five biscuits and fed 5,000, he was God. Hallelujah. That's right. He was a man. When he was laying out on the back of that boat that night, so tired from healing the sick and the virtue going out of him, till he was so sleepy till the waves didn't wake him up, the sea-angry 10,000 devils swore they would drown him that night. He was a man when that little boat like a bottle stopper jumped about on the sea. He was a man when he was laying there asleep. But when he arose, put his foot on the braille of the boat, that peace, be still. He was born in a man when he stopped the roaring sea and tired the waves. God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself. He was the divine son of God. Hallelujah. He was a man when he cried for mercy at the cross. That's right. He died like a man, crying for mercy at the cross. But when he rose on Easter morning, he proved he was God. Every poet that's ever mounted any anything, any man that ever mounted to a hill of beans, believed in him, had faith in him as being divine. Once said, living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. Some days coming, O oh, glorious day. What do you think about him, Eddie Pruitt? When he was there in prison, they were making fun of him. He wrote with a pen when the Holy Ghost touched him. He said, all hang on the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Blind Fanny Crosby, what do you think about him? She said, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thy calling do not pass me by. Thou the stream of all my comfort, more than life to me. Whom have I on earth beside thee? Whom in heaven but thee? Hallelujah! Hallelujah. The Bible said Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Believest thou this? He's divine. Believest thou this? He's the Son of God. Believest thou this? He's here now. Believest thou this? He's the one that made Lazarus come from the grave. He's the same great Jehovah God. Let's stand and accept him. Oh, Almighty God. Send your mercies, Lord. We believe you with all of our heart. Oh, Master of life. Father, upon this congregation now, Forgiveness give us a sin. Heal all the sick and the afflicted. The glory of this service, Father. Granted, Lord. He's here now to save. Believe us this. This is Him now that's moving on your heart. Believe us thou this. He sent me here to pray for you. Believe us thou this. An angel met me not long ago, said if I be sincere when I prayed, nothing should stand before the prayer. Believest thou this? Do you believe it? Accept him right now as your healer. Stand up on your feet and be made well. Every person is in your divine presence. Hallelujah.